0: where, you know, I had to kind of watch the train wreck happen. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again here on the Red Dragon Sessions. With me, as always, is Bob. Hello. How are you doing today, Bob? Very well, thank you. Really? Mm-hmm. Cool. It's a good day? Yes. It's a great day. Every day is a good day. Every day is a good day. So today, I'm going to tell you a story about when uh, I was potentially watching a train wreck happen throughout a day.
1: Were you living in Nashville? or
0: I was living in Nashville, and I actually came up to St. Louis. It was a really big, important gig for them. So I actually uh, drove up from Nashville with a friend of mine. It was one of those days where everything just kind of, it, it started off okay, and then things just sort of went downhill. And did, and did you say you know the band from before, from St. Louis, or? When I was first in college before I moved to Nashville and transferred schools. I see, I see. I knew this band. They they had some regional success. They weren't, you know, in, their, in, in the St. Louis area, they weren't nobodies. Mm-hmm. Steve on drums, Jackson on guitar, Tommy was the leader of the band, it was his band. And by working with them, I was doing a little bit of management. I was doing a little bit of booking. I was definitely a road dog. I was definitely running around, helping set up, tear down, load up, unload, doing just a little bit of everything to you know help them boost themselves up and get themselves out there. The story is about a, a day that started off fantastic that turned into just a a little bit of a nightmare, a little bit of Crazy Trains, a little bit about Steven Jackson and their relationship and and dealing with people who don't necessarily get along all the time. The show was in the St. Louis area at a big club. It was a really big, huge club. It was one of those like, uh, there were a lot of these clubs in the 90s that popped up around the United States that had like you know the square footage inside was huge and there's like a mechanical bull in one corner with a whole like arena thing going on and there was like two or th- or actually like three or four bars placed around the place and the dance floor was just huge it's like line dancing club bar things i
1: actually remember those <laughs> I <know what laughs> right you're
0: talking about. so this is one that's outside of st louis i was going to college in nashville i was a I was in uh like my i was i was like a couple of years in working with this band. We had worked together. We all knew each other very well. We all got along relatively good with each other. I mean, Steve and Jackson had issues, but they got along relatively they got along well enough to be together in the band and stay together. Let's put it that way. It's important to note that uh, Jackson had at the time a very lovely and beautiful wife who was supportive. Of this music thing Uh, but this wasn't a band that was like paying for itself everybody had a day job everybody had a day gig that paid the bills and Jackson and his family had a lifestyle where the wife significantly contributed to paying the bills and stuff so just sort of setting a little stage for you as to what's to come and so me and uh, my roommate at the time we drove up from Nashville, we both went to school at Belmont, and we drove up from Nashville that day, uh, and we took her car, because you know that was I, I I can't remember what piece of shit I was driving, but we took her car, and we drove up. We get to the club, and we're meeting the band at the club. We get there; it's time to unload and do sound check and things, and um, everything has so far gone really well. It was a great drive. Food was good. Um, you know, everybody had enough money in their pocket to eat. Like that's a good gig. You know, I'm serious. That's a that's a great gig for a lot of bands out there. If you can just get to the joint on time, everybody show up at the right time, and everybody's had lunch, like it's a good day for some bands. All right. It's a really good day. And for this band and this whole situation, it was a great day up to that point with this. So we get there, we do setup, we do sound check, everybody's chilling, everybody's doing great. The, you know, the club is getting all their, like, staff in. Their people are coming in. Bar is, like, getting, like, its groove on. They're turning the music on. Everything is just flowing. It was just great. And then my roommate realized that she locked her keys in the car. And we have to drive back to Nashville when the show's over. Like, we've driven up for the day. And we've got, like, a six-hour drive. Because we got to be back in Nashville. And so she starts to freak out because she hasn't been through a whole lot (laughs) in her life. Bless her heart. When you've been through some shit, then locking your keys in the car is not really a big deal. You know, you like you get a coat hanger, you figure it out or eventually you just break the window and you drive home like whatever. Like you don't it doesn't throw you off. And so I'm not uh, for her. I was not freaking out at the appropriate level. Because I have I have other shit to worry about. This show goes well. Maybe we could become like a house band here. Maybe we could play regularly here. Or we could be an opening act for like some big, a big artist could come through. And we could be an opening gig for this. Like this is way more important to me than her keys locked in the car. Because in my mind, you know, we're just going to get a coat hanger. Somebody's going to have one of those little like, little like hook things, like. Something's going to happen. The car's going to get unlocked. It's going to be fine. Actually, in my mind, I was like, well, Steve, the drummer, he's like an ingenious superhero to me sometimes. So I was like, you know, Steve will probably just look at the car and it'll just unlock. Like, in my mind, that's the kind of thing that was going to happen that afternoon, whatever. So at the end of the day, um, she's freaking out a whole lot. She's like spending a whole lot of time freaking out. Now, this wasn't her gig. She had just sort of come along. So I let her freak out. I let her just be herself and I let her freak out and I let her do whatever she wants to do. And, and like, cause she wasn't supposed to be responsible for helping set up or tear down or sound check or anything. She was like along for the ride. And she drove. I mean, I gave her gas money, but she agreed to drive. It's a six hour drive. So I'm like, you know, do your thing, honey. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to tell you to calm down. I just hope you grow a little bit from this and have a little more backbone someday. Cause it's like, you know, you just let your keys in your car. It's not that big a deal. I'm a little hyper-focusing on this part of the story. It's not that big of a deal either. Um, at the end of the day, I call AAA and they get the keys out of the car and it's all fine. You know, lesson learned. Um, but that was the first of, of several things that started to go just a little bit wonky. Um, the next thing that went a little wonky is when we were in this situation with this band, um i i I liked to get paid and I like to get paid in cash. and i I like a bit like Aretha Franklin would really prefer to get paid pre-gig. And that's kind of like not really a thing. And, uh, but I was being very insistent and persistent with the manager. And normally, the manager of this club, like knew me well enough to know that like, yeah, this is her. And he might not always pay me up front or whatever, but he put up with me in that way, or he appreciated my hustle and my desire to get the money up front or get, first of all, he always gave me cash, which I always appreciated because you can't rip a check into pieces and hand it to band members. But whether or not I got it up front might've been a question but I I knew it was coming from him and he knew he was going to get a lot of shit from me until I got it. We had respect for each other. This was a different manager on this particular night who just decided he didn't want anything to do with me. So the second thing to go a little sideways is this, this new manager. And so I am, I am being very naggy and I'm just like trying to stay in this guy's face. And every time I see him mingling around, I'm like, yo, Hey, money, cash, where, uh, Hey, come on because um, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't trust this guy. I've never I've never trusted a promoter um, on that level. Some club owners I have trusted because they've earned that trust, but you know, if I run into a new person in that position, I'm just not gonna trust you on the first night. I'm just not because I've been burned. We've been screwed. So don't judge don't judge my judging of you the first time that my band plays at your club. That's all I'm saying. You will earn my respect and then it'll be all cake after that. So this is the second thing that goes a little sideways. Cause now I'm not getting this good rapport with this guy and everything. And But the band does a good sound check and everybody's chill and everybody's cool. Everybody's happy. There's no opening act for us and there's no headliner. It's us. So that's even better. Um, and it's like a Saturday night, so it's going to be packed. So this is this is fantastical. This is really good. We've got a lot of potential for a really great, great night of music. And for the record, we had a really great night of music. We really did. It was a great show. The show itself on stage did nothing but be perfect that night. Off stage is where all the awesomeness was. (laughs) So we've got that going on. We've got me nagging the manager. We've got, um, I go up to the front. I ask the guys like, okay, who's coming tonight? Like, you know, Jackson, is your wife coming tonight? Blah, blah, blah. You know, Tommy, is your, is your girl coming tonight? Steve, have you found somebody to sleep with that's going to come tonight? Like, what's <laughs> going on? Um, and so Jackson's like, yeah, my wife's coming tonight. Super awesome. Cool. Cool. And Tommy's like, yeah, my girl's coming tonight, too. Great. Steve's like, as usual, Steve's like, nothing. I'm like, fantastic, because Steve is hot, (laughs) super hot. So I always liked it when Steve didn't have a woman around. (laughs) I didn't really see myself as, like, being, like, trying to be Steve's girl or anything like that. But I did have a little bit of a crush on him. When he wasn't looking.
1: The superhero who might unlock the door with his eyes.
0: Wait, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no crush there at all. Yeah. Whatever. But, you know, Steve could pull some voodoo out of his ass in a pinch. Like, he's like MacGyver. Like, things happened. Anyway. But this story really, really focuses on Jackson and Jackson's issues. <laughs> oh. Yeah. hmm So, um... The guys get up and um, it's it's almost showtime. we got a few minutes before showtime. So I go back to the management office. I'm going to make one more salvo to try to get some cash before showtime. I fail. But while I'm up there, I see Jackson's wife is like has just come in the door. And I'm like, hey. How are you doing? Come on in. Now, Jackson's wife always sort of had her spot. She didn't want to be right up on the stage. She wasn't really hovery or anything. So she liked to be in the back, but on in towards the back of the room on stage left, the stage left side of the room. That's the side that Jackson played on. That was her thing. That's where she liked to be. That's where she hung out. That's where she'd get a table, that kind of thing. And she had a few friends with her, so they all went over the back of the back of the audience, stage left, and I'm like, cool, this is great. Tommy's wife shows up. She's, like, just basically hovering around me all night because I don't know why. Like, she was a hoverer. She hung out with me. Tommy's was, girlfriend? Or- his girlfriend at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Did I say that wrong? You said his wife. Oh. <sighs> future wife? Future wife, yeah. Tommy's girlfriend, his future wife, she showed up as well with a few friends. She was a little more of a hoverer. She liked to like hang out with me and stuff like that. We had a lot of alike personality traits, you know. And and she's cool. She's super cool. She's still kind of cool. Um, and so I'm thinking, you know, the band is like ready to like hit that first guitar strum. They're ready to hit those drums. They're ready to go. Uh, ready to start playing. And the uh, the the lady from the front, one of the waitresses, comes up to get me. And we're just about ready to, like, they're walking on stage. They're picking up their instruments. She comes against me and she says, hey, there's a, a young woman here at the front door. And she says she's supposed to be on the band's list. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking, Steve, you whore. You forgot to give me a name. That's immediately my first thought. So I I run up front. They start to play. Everything sounds good. Nothing's going wrong up there. I run up front and uh, I get to the door and I realize um, Jackson's girlfriend is at the door to come in. Wait, I thought Jackson was married. Jackson is married. Ooh. His wife's already inside. Ooh. Back of the audience stage left. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> We're not done yet. So, uh, so I'm like, Hey, how are you? It's so good to see you. again. (laughs) Ah, Shit. So I'm thinking, okay, now where am I going to put her? I don't want to turn her loose in the crowd. I need to like physically place her somewhere in the audience so that I can like, cause if she wanders around and Jackson's wife meeting Jackson's girlfriend could be slightly awkward. Does she not know he's married? Honestly, I'm not 100% sure if she knew at the time or not. Probably she did. Probably she did. He was a bit of a Casanova. So, you know, there were issues. (laughs) So, uh, So I take her and I'm thinking, oh, it's his girlfriend. Like, if wifey is in the back, I'll take girlfriend all the way up to the front. So I plop her ass right in front of him on the stage while he's playing he's like there's they're in the first song and so I'm just like sit her down and I just look up and I just like point to her and I'm like here you go for you (laughs) right here and Jackson's playing and he looks down and he's like you know he gets like big eyes deer in headlights for just a second and I'm like behind this woman where she can't see me like pointing at her and then pointing to the back of the room like you know doing a little hand gesture thing, trying to be nonchalant, failing, but trying to be nonchalant. And I think, okay, well, here's the thing that's gone wrong during the show. I was wrong. (laughs) So uh, they're playing, everything's going good. I like, you know, I do my thing. I got to work the room because, you know, the mixer engineer guys got the mix going. The guys are playing on stage. There's very little that I need to do. Jackson's only got a couple of guitars, so I don't need to have something pre-tuned or anything. He's all set to go. They can change out on stage. The most I got to do is if Steve might break too many drumsticks or something and like run out of drumsticks or something like that. But I got a minute, so I decided to do a sweep of the room. So I go check on Jackson's wife. She's all cool in the back. She's got, she's like cool, she's happy. She knows that her husband is a bit of a heartthrob looking dude. Not to me. I was like, I do not know what these women are seeing in this guy, but whatever. Um, And so um, so she's like she's used to like women sitting down front in front of him and stuff like this. So she didn't really think anything of this woman getting put down there. She didn't really see me put him put her down there. So she's cool. And I'm thinking everything's good. So I go and I go around to the back where I can be handy and available should things happen or go wrong or whatever's going on. And so then um, another person comes to get me to tell me that there is a third woman at the front door saying that she is on the band's list to get in. I'm like, again, I think to myself, Steve, you whore. (laughs) You forgot to tell me a name. I get to the front and, um, this woman is out there and I have never seen this woman before anything. And I get out there and, uh, I'm like, hi, uh, I'm the band's manager. You're supposed to be on the list. And she goes, yeah, um, this guy, Jackson, that I met at this bar last night, he said to come to his show today here. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) This isn't, this is not happiness to see me out here. So, um, so I'm like, okay, what to do, what to do, what to do. So I don't want, I don't want the club to think there's anything wrong. I don't want to have to, like, I want this to be a really smooth, like, experience. I want everything to just be sunshine, roses, and unicorn, unicorn farts. Like, I just want, like, because I want this to lead to a regular gig here for them because they need the money they need the support they need the community behind them and that that's what this could lead to so i'm like okay come on in and so i take her in and now i'm standing in the in the like front part of this or side part of this bar near the door thinking where the hell am i going to put this one like I can't, like, I I can't get her anywhere near Jackson's wife. I don't know, like, do I put her up in the front? I can't put her next to Jackson's girlfriend. And so she then begins to, like, wander up to the front of the stage to, like, where, you know, she's going to sit down front. So I steer her to sit more towards Tommy's side of the stage so that, like, she's sort of away from girlfriend number one. You know, because now, so now we have Jackson's wife, and we have Jackson's girlfriend number one, and we have Jackson's girlfriend number two, here in the bar, uh, in the club. Yeah, it's fantastic. So now I am pretty. I'm starting to get a little sweaty. Um, so I was just like, I'm, I'm gonna go backstage again, because if something goes sideways, I can be away. I can be away from the situation. And the less connection there is to the band if something, you know, if there's a cat fight or something going on, then the more it's not our fault and you know, it'll just be a thing and the women will get kicked out and it'll be fine, right? So I go backstage and I'm like in my little hidey hole spot behind the amps and I'm keeping an eye on the wife and the two women in front and slowly but surely girlfriend number two starts to like slide her way towards Jackson's side of the stage just you know shimmy and dancing her way over there and I'm just like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck and I'm just thinking oh god it's gonna happen it's gonna happen it's gonna go crazy I'm gonna things are gonna happen bad things are gonna happen because you know every movie I've seen up to that point is like you know you're his girlfriend? No, I'm his girlfriend. Like, give me. Sh- sh- I decide to hide behind Steve. Steve is Steve is the kind of friend to Jackson who um, there was a time, um, maybe uh six months to a year prior to this show, where I had seen how deeply and truly great friends that Steve and Jackson are we had played a gig and Jackson was outside and he was having a very heated discussion with two gentlemen about something unimportant. And this heated discussion was about to turn into the kind of fight where Jackson was not going to walk away. Might not be dead, but he's gonna be at least limping. There's gonna be a fight and everybody can see there's gonna be a fight. And Steve, in his infinite wisdom and love for Jackson as a brother in music, just runs right up and punches Jackson in the face as hard as he can and knocks him out cold. Immediately, the two guys who are about to just beat the shit out of Jackson are just like, whoa, man, whoa, hey, like, dude, okay, we're out of here. And they left. And I was like, what the fuck, Steve? You're just not, we're going to put him, in, like, we, we're going to have to carry this now. Like, what the hell have you done? And he was like, it was either me hit him or he was going to get seriously hurt. At least now we know he's got a bloody nose and he's unconscious. That's the worst that's going to happen to him tonight. These guys could have had a knife. They, One of them might have had a gun. We were going to have to spend the night at the hospital if this fight happened. So that's who Steve was. He loved his brother so much, punched him in the face.
1: <laughs> his version of logic.
0: His version <laughs> of logic. It actually, honestly, when you're on the road and it's the middle of the night, and you're trying to, like, get home. It actually was kind of logical. Oh, yeah. Why? Absolutely. The, the le- lesser of the potential evils. Yeah hundred percent steve steve read the room and he knew that like there was no way he could just like walk over and talk these guys down or whatever there was gonna be a fight it was gonna happen right now and the only way to stop it from happening was to punch jackson's lights out (laughs) (laughs) and it worked i can't say that's the best for every situation so but but it worked but you said that they then weren't friends well, they there was tension. There was always tension between them. Okay, but there, there... was always tension between them. Okay. But if it's a choice, you know, Jackson was a Casanova fuck up, but he was our Casanova fuck up. You know, that's sure. That that's we're gonna call him a Casanova fucked up twat waffle wank puffin all day long. But nobody else better call him. A fucked up Casanova twat waffle wink puffin. You know, he's ours. He's our wink puffin. <laughs> so I know that if shit goes down out there, I'm going to be safe behind the drums. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to hide behind Steve. Because at the very least, if something goes down, Jackson's going to be pissed off at me. Illogically, probably. But so I go and I. I can't be seen. There's no way to not be seen, really, not very well to not be seen. I mean, I am wearing all black, and you know, but I am blonde. Got the ponytail. So, to be as least seen as possible, I crawl <laughs> across the back of the stage to behind the drums, and then I lay down. I just lay down in a in a flat position behind the throne, behind the drum stool. And I just laid down flat, and I just laid there. And Steve turns around, and he was like, okay. And they finish the song, and between songs, he turns around, and he goes, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, Jackson's wife is here, and so are both his girlfriends. And Steve goes, well, if I could, I'd probably lay in there right there next to you. (laughs) And he goes around, and they, they finish playing drums, and then... We're about, we're, we're about halfway through the show now, and, and things are going really good. And so Steve decides that this whole situation is just ridiculous, so he's going to make it more ridiculous. And he starts doing the thing that Steve does when he's pissed off at Jackson, and that is to randomly throw drumsticks at Jackson from behind the drums. It finishes a song, and pew! A drumstick will go at the back of Jackson's head. And can I just say that Steve has phenomenal aim? Of course he does. Like the number of times that I have watched Jackson get hit in the head with a drumstick is way too many to count. Uh, and it was great. And so that's, that's the thing that would happen. Steve especially loved it if he could break a drumstick and then throw it. I was always concerned. I'm like, what if you Buffy the Vampire Slayer him? Like on stage and he was like well we'll get a new guitar player (laughs) actually he would say well we'll get a good guitar player (laughs) because most of the time steve would get mad at jackson because of the like womanizing kind of things Mm -hmm. because it was just like this is like extra nonsense that we don't need Mm -hmm. like don't be married or don't have, like, it was just always extra nonsense that was around that was right. just, like, in the way. Make better choices. Right. You know, at least have some respect for the rest of your band members who might have to put up with, like, some girls getting into a cat fight at a show or some shit. Like, we, you know, we're grown men. You know, they were all in their mid-30s. Like, they are like, we're you know, we're not, like, 19-year-olds first time playing at a club you know but now you're in college i was in college yeah they were right. older so than you're, me you're like easily 10 or 15 years younger than them yeah they right. were older than me mm-hmm. yeah most of the most of the musicians and things i worked with were all older than me significantly now tommy who, who it was tommy's band tommy was more like i was like 22 23 tommy was probably 25 26 so tommy and i were roughly the same age but these guys They had been playing in bands around St. Louis for a long time, you know, since they were teenagers Um, and they were a little older though. But yeah, so that's, you know, that's like watching, you know, you think something's going to go horribly wrong. Your expectation really can be far worse than what actually happens. You can actually like freak yourself out and then everything be okay. Yeah. And so, Throwing drumsticks at Jackson's head. Oh, I think that that was the most prudent course of action that Steve could have. Sure, but what, I, I what, enjoyed the hell out of that. Did he recognize that that was tonight? It was because of the extra girls in the audience. Oh, you you want to know like what the resolution was yeah. to this? Well, yeah. I'm gonna tell the truth. I decided to do the thing that I do best, which is to focus on the work and work the problem that i wanted to work basically mm-hmm. the higher priority problem i went out before the band finished i got our cash thank you new manager my roommate had successfully utilized my aaa card and gotten the keys out of her car um thank you aaa and um the whole girlfriend-wife situation, I'm not sure how that got resolved because I chose then after getting the money to do put everybody's cash in their envelopes, hand it off to them, help with loadout, get everything loaded up and everything. And I chose to load out Jackson's guitars for him and let him deal with the woman situation. I didn't need to be in that hot mess. Now. You know, and and Jackson trusted me with his guitars to, like, load everything out. So I, you know, got everything packed up, got everything loaded in his truck for him. So he was ready to go. Now, I have to tell you that we were all kind of standing around outside the back of the club, hanging out, waiting. I still had Jackson's envelope of cash for him. And we're just kind of hanging out, waiting for Jackson to come around the corner. Either as like, you know, Tasmanian devil catfight happening around him or, you know, alone you know maybe with his wedding ring thrown into the river or something we weren't sure what was going to come around the corner but we all hung out for it and jackson came around that corner with his arm around his wife in a loving embrace got his envelope got in his truck and drove off do not ask me how that happened at all (laughs) i do not know how that happened at all as we're leaving, I see the two girlfriends chatting in the parking lot as if they were old friends. I don't know what happened. I don't know what was said. All I know is it was, it felt really good to, walk, to watch Jackson leave that venue that night with his wife and like everything work out like it was supposed to. I got myself all worked up and freaked out and scared when things started to go wrong. And really, everything ended up just fine.
1: It's a lot of components, though. It's a yeah. lot of
0: components. Yeah. I mean, and then it's a lot of volatile things
1: happening. And overload is is an easy thing to fall susceptible to, especially when the components are not within your control. Like with mm-hmm. the manager, you can go and keep dogging him. Like right. Certain elements of that you can, you know, you do right. have a certain amount of control over that component. But these other ones that you don't, you don't know what the chemistry is and what's going to happen.
0: That's right. Those are the nerve-wracking it ones. There's like all these like potentially volatile personalities out there, and and you just you don't know. It's a great
1: moral to the story, though, that watching yourself for getting worked up and maybe i mean at the time you wouldn't have thought to ask yourself like am i putting myself over the top here lying Wait. down behind the drums or
0: <laughs> or is it you know i mean i didn't i didn't have a whole lot to do at that moment in time but you know hey there are worse places in this world to like hang out and be freaked out than behind those drums so don't you think though if Steve hadn't
1: thrown the drumsticks at Jackson and kind of alerted him to something, cause they, they know each other. Yeah. Like, yeah. He oh, knew, he yeah. knew something was up. He probably was having a chance then to kind of maybe calculate how he's going to fix this. Like while he's on stage, like, I mean, if I were yeah. Jackson, although I wouldn't have done that, but you know, I get, like he, he was probably giving him a heads up, like, don't, yeah, don't fuck this up for us.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a no go. Yeah. And, and certainly like, I mean, we would all like to think that clubs and things who really like an artist are going to be super cool. And like, you wouldn't assume that a cat fight or two guys fighting or something like that happening in an audience would affect um, a future performance or a future gig. But the fact remains is that it does, you know, that club was well aware that there were a wife and two girlfriends for one of those members and there. They were well aware who was who. It's not like you just forget what somebody looks like, you know, three seconds after you see them or three seconds after they say, I'm with the band, you know? And and some sort of disturbance like that can jade the show. And I'm, I'm grateful that Steve had my back. Tommy was blissfully unaware of shit and Shinola. <laughs> Tommy didn't know what the fuck was happening. Tommy didn't even know I was hiding behind the drums for part of the show until, like, afterward when we told him. That's pretty funny. Yeah, Steve was like, yeah. And then when when Yvette called, crawled behind my drum kit, I knew something was wrong somewhere. And Tommy's like, you crawled behind the drum kit? What?
1: <laughs> it's so dramatic. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> You're, like, doing, like, what is that? Army crawl. (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah. It was just so weird, you know? If I had thought I could have put, like, a black stocking on my head, I could have been a little more incognito. But I can just imagine, like, the audience. Like, I would like to think that this band would have been
1: weirder. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) I like to think that this audience was so, like, jazzed up and just, like, so into the band and their performance that, like, nobody noticed but I'm certain there were people in that audience that saw me crawling back there they could have thought you were a tech
1: and like a cable was messed up
0: well I was a tech but there was no cable messed up right you know they could have thought there was a cable messed up yeah I mean I don't guess it was that odd of a thing but um I didn't necessarily have to be so weird about it (laughs) as to crawl across well you'd whipped yourself up I did. I whipped myself up to into, yeah, there's going to be a car crash. <laughs> and it really was just a little like, it was nothing. The cars all completely missed each other.
1: That was lucky.
0: I actually was pretty lucky. Did you end up playing the venue again? Oh, yeah, we did. We did play the venue again. We didn't get like a regular gig there, but um, we did do a few opening gigs for people there. And it was fun. And... and The new manager actually turned out to be a really great guy. And he eventually started paying me before we played. All right. He was actually better at that shit than the original guy was. So I'm seeing a thing with persistence here about like
1: getting up in people's faces and like, you know, it works. Wake
0: up! (laughs) (laughs) It's a persistent scan work. Bugs bunny. You gotta, you gotta just, you gotta know when to do it though. You can't like, That can't be, you can't, you know, every situation does not call for, you know, every, every single moment being in somebody's face. You know, you got to pick your battles. If you're going to send an email every day to somebody to nag them about an issue, that better be a pretty big battle that you need or want to win. Otherwise, you need to chill. Yes. Because just because it's important to you doesn't mean it's important to everybody else. So you need to pick and choose your battles. You need to pick and choose your battles. This is a great
1: example of that. And also, certainly in L.A., this is very, very true. Most circumstances, you only have one chance Mm -hmm. with anybody, especially if you're communicating the first time. Mm -hmm. And, And if something doesn't go well, you you may be locked out forever, right? And yeah, uh, having even though it feels like kind of a you know drummed up like or a inflated sense of nerves about a circumstance, it's actually quite representative of actually how LA works as far as like connections and fucking up and there's a certain etiquette in communicating with people and you know being careful about a lot of the things that you were nervous about in that show. Like, yeah, these are all very, very real things here in our business. Mm -hmm. I think it's funny that, that you'd have that like kind of dramatized version, but it's absolutely true. In uh, you know, especially when you're dealing with like high up anybody in a very senior, Mm -hmm. whether they're famous, whatever it is, like, or company heads, or whatever the case may be, anybody who could be an opportunity or connecting the dots kind of thing. If you don't say it right, or if you don't communicate what you're needing to in in a tasteful way, it won't work.
0: Right. There's there's two main things that you have to remember. Number one is that you only get one shot. Mm -hmm. You get one shot. To make a first impression, it's going to be a lasting impression. Yeah. A second impression can kind of like if you're having, you know, like people get it. People are people. They get it. Like they might forgive you a first impression, you know, like if you walk in the room and you trip on something like they might forgive you. They might go with your second impression in that. But you don't get a whole lot of those second ones either. Mm -hmm. If you trip when you walk in the room, your work better be on point. So that they forget about the trip when you walk in the room. Mm -hmm. It's still that first day. That's still that first impression. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing to remember. And the second thing to remember is to always be yourself. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Always be who you are.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know. And that's if you can if you can balance going after the thing you want and like making the best impression that you can. Mm -hmm. And very recently I've had some experience with this. But be yourself. Be who you are. Mm-hmm. You can balance those two things. You will have success mm-hmm. at what you want at what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You will. Yeah. I, I feel though like I feel like LA is a, a really unique
1: landscape for that particular. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure it's it's that true in other industries as far as like the one chance or just, certainly like on
0: stage. It's extremely competitive certainly yeah definitely when it comes to the stage or being in the studio or whatever song or music you're putting out you know when you're when you're putting out music like people listen for like the first 10 seconds and if you don't engage them in 10 seconds they're not going to listen to your song anymore they're going to move on to the next song Mm -hmm. if you're doing a youtube video and it's like your first video and everything don't don't do a don't don't do like a 45 second like intro with opening credits and like epic cinematic shots of the skyline of LA and stuff. Nobody cares. It's your first video when you're like 10 years into your career and you can hire Quentin Tarantino to make your video. Then that's when you want the great cinematic shot. and Everything. But up to that point, everybody just wants to hear how your song starts to know whether or not they give a shit to listen to it. Now, can you go out and do that? Can you, can you be the first music video for your band and the first time you put a video on YouTube and do that big trick? Of course you can. I'm not trying to tell you not to. I'm just saying you're gonna get more listeners, you're gonna get more viewers and more subscribers and more of all those things if you scale it back. Don't spend that extra money now. Spend that extra money on sticks for your drummer to throw at your guitar player. <laughs> That's where you should invest. You've been listening to the Red Dragon Sessions.